Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech. Breaking all the rules. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Open it up a little, Ozzy. I'll set your mind free of everything. Believe me. And, of course, I am joined by someone else who can really set your mind free. Certainly helped me set my mind free. And that is the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Hello, Brian. There's no one I'd rather break all the rules with than you. Absolutely. They're nothing without you. They're nothing without <laughs> us. So is this a special thing for episode 69? Yes, this is episode 69. And God, you would think this is like a religious holiday or something. I mean, you're sitting here, you've got a tinfoil yarmulke on, <laughs> on your head. Uh, <laughs> I'm protecting myself from the the uh, the rays being sent by normal people. So. <laughs> we just ate a uh, sacrificial chicken, and uh, you know we're burning candles in the dark, and we're in, uh, in the shrine of um, bacchanalian pleasure. Really, <laughs> that's right. And what better way to celebrate the 69th episode of uh, Sovereign Tech? Then with all that. Then with all that. And with a little Ozzy Osbourne. How about that? Mm. Uh, huge, huge fan mm-hmm. of, well, I'm a huge fan of 80s metal, but anyway. So why do you have um, aluminum foil on your head? Well, like I said, well, I mean, I'm, see, a lot of people, okay, there's, there's, there's the idea of the tinfoil hat that conspiracy theorists talk about, right? But actually, they got that, humans got that from lizards, from the lizard Jews, who they, you know, they're, they're copying us. We actually wear the hat we lizard Jews wear the hat to protect ourselves from the humans. And so oh. the humans think that, you, you see what I mean? Well, it all makes sense now. I know, of course. I know, right. So, Except there's one flaw in the theory, because the aluminum foil is not made out of tin anymore. It's aluminum. Well, you see, I got this from the special lizard Jews store, where it's still tin. No, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway. All right. It makes perfect you, you sense. You got me. You got me. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm just wearing this. You had your chicken wrapped in it. And so I was like, well, I don't want to like just waste it and throw it out. And I said, well, you know, I'll just put it over my noggin. Well, really, I couldn't think of a better use for it. I, so. I know. I know. I, I look <laughs> very I look creative. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We just had some uh, paleo grass fed chicken. It's not really grass fed because chickens don't eat grass. They eat like the bugs that are in the grass, right? But they don't feed it soy or corn, which is unusual because usually they do feed chickens that stuff. And oh my god, it was so good! Like the bones are actually really hard. You know how regular chickens, the bones will break and splinter really easily. Yeah. I couldn't crack the bones on this one with my teeth, so yeah. it must have had really good nutrition. And the wings were bigger than normal, and they were just tastier. Like the oil was just so savory; it was 
oh, it's very flavorful. So <laughs> yeah, uh, you were really enjoying it. I mean, it was a sight to watch. I really got into it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, a lot of people don't know this. I actually I raised chickens for a little while when I lived in Florida. Oh, really? And uh, or I helped raise them. It wasn't my decision or my my choice. Um, and Did the gators get them? Because you also had like gators running up and no, down your driveway, didn't coyotes you? Coyotes would get them, mm. but uh, but gators, as far as I know, did not. Anyway, but it's interesting because uh, with the uh, the house at one point had a cockroach infestation, uh, and someone had the ingenious idea to hey, chickens eat insects. Let's let the chickens loose in the house. Wow, well, that's that makes sense. That's like what you do with a cat when you have mice, right? It was yeah, and it was amazing to watch them eat these things. I wow. mean, they were they were like lightning, and they ate them up. <laughs> I mean, it was it was incredible to watch um, because you know you just uncover something, and then suddenly there'd be you know these these cockroaches. Then of course you have a chicken infestation. You've just replaced your cockroach infestation with a chicken infestation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take the chickens; they're they're tasty. <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, just a, just an interesting thing. If you ever have a cockroach problem, maybe just go grab a chicken that makes um, a whole lot of sense yeah <laughs> did you and then what did you do with the chickens did you actually get to eat any of them or did the coyotes eat them? no 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 they, they the then coyotes you have a coyote infestation point, but we just <laughs> we use them for the eggs at the time got uh, it i mean every morning you just walk out there in florida you know and then there's there's a bunch of eggs and you had breakfast pretty much for free mm, so what a caveman yeah it was <laughs> it was it was pretty good it's really sexy yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, let's get into our rapid fire stories here for episode 69. Um, first off, Amazon came out with a, a TV box. They came out not with a TV itself, but they're calling it the Kindle Fire TV. And it's essentially just a, it's a video game system. It's a content like Amazon Prime. Like you've watched videos on Amazon Prime, Stephanie. And Actually, no, I haven't. I well, have. We Prime. have. We, we've we have watched documentaries on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, but but anyway, so I haven't really taken the initiative to do it myself. Right. So it's it's not anything <laughs> it's like with you. Yeah, exactly. It's not anything that impressive. The game system aspect of it might be impressive. In fact, there's already an exclusive game, a first person shooter, coming out for it that. Uh, that you know, again, Amazon bought their own game de- development companies, pretty good ones at that. That have that have a good track record, and I've talked about that on the show in the past. Uh, so they might actually have something here. It's Android based, just like the Kindle Fire. That's why they're they're calling it the Fire TV. Um, and we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes. And before people say, well, look, if you only have one game, you know, they can't build a system around one game. That's not true. The Microsoft Xbox, the original Xbox, a lot of people humorously called it the Halo Box because. Really, that game alone was good enough to to warrant buying that system, and I agree with that that sentiment. I think it was good enough. So maybe the Fire will have that one killer app, right? That'll make it worth it, uh, you know, to to have it. So interesting uh, uh, thing to to come up with. Uh, the other uh, bit of news is that there is a new crypto phone coming out called the ESD Crypto Phone Five Hundred. Uh, something to look out for. That is an awesome name. It is. It's a, it's a good name, and ESD is a pretty good company. So we'll you know we'll keep an eye out on that sort of thing. I'm still. What have I heard of ESD, and I just don't know about it, or what? Uh, no, they, they they make a lot of phones for. Uh, they make a lot of communication technology for military and governments. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't like that they do that, but the quality of their stuff is phenomenal. Uh, so that that's that's my point, and mm. this is being uh, pushed to governments as well to buy which, you know, take that for what it's worth. So something to look out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, is that, and, and Stephanie, you might have a problem with this, is um, Windows 8.1, uh, 
uh, by the time that this gets released, we'll have come out with that. This episode's released. We're recording it a week ahead of time. Uh, we'll come out with windows 8.1 update one. And last time you had to upgrade to windows 8.1, it actually reformatted your hard drive. And oh no, <laughs> this is going to suck. I yeah. hope I don't have to reinstall every single program I, like I did last time. I've looked into it and it you don't. It, this is more of a this is a service pack and okay. not but what they are doing is what I already said would happen. Of course, they're just a little bit early on it, but they are literally re-inputting the start menu like as you know it. And you're even going to be able to put uh like the the metro apps uh-huh. the, the tile apps into the taskbar, all kinds of stuff. So they they're they're turning Windows 8 into uh they they tried to already to like kind of like with 8.1 to get people in that direction but now they're really just saying yeah okay we fucked up and they're making it look like windows 7 what so, a scam oh it, it's a scam already. Right. you know i have no one to blame but myself because i just haven't i've just been too scared or whatever to switch to linux and i really maybe this will make me do it finally i i think it might not be a bad idea yeah um i've heard other people uh in the liberty movement who recently said they all went to ubuntu because they're just tired of the windows 8 business yeah. and i know i pretty much know how to use ubuntu it's just the command lines are scary it, it, it's not like that anymore though mm. ubuntu is really to the point especially that the new version of Ubuntu, the new LTS version, long-term support version, comes out April 17th, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think, boy, if, if if people want to, just wait for that to come out and install that and say, you know, fuck it to, to Windows 8, mm. you know, or just go back to Windows 7 again. Uh, but another interesting thing with Windows Phone, which is getting some crazy updates, which is a pretty... Windows Phone, I recently found out with a special with uh, Michael Dean um, and uh, and uh, Derek Slopey, I found out that that Windows Phone's actually a decently kind of almost open platform. At least it's it's even more open than iOS to some degree. And so Google is talking about putting Chrome, the Chrome browser, onto Windows Phone, which I thought that was pretty cool. Huh. Yeah. And the last bit of the last rapid fire story that I want to get to is a bit of a sexy one for episode sixty nine, and that is uh, scientists have may have proved finally that there are actually two types of female orgasm clitoral and vaginal so is that for real yeah they're using they they use sonography and they said that it that it's so so okay the history of this uh sigmund freud uh said in what was it like the around 1900 something somewhere around that era um that there were two types of orgasm clitoral and vaginal and that only dysfunctional women had clitoral orgasms and uh, if they were really fully actualized and grown up into a mature human being then the only way that they could come is from uh, penetration with their husband's dick and you know that's the way that women are supposed to be coming but then you know there were a lot of other researchers that came along later and said that's utter bullshit and he's actually pathologizing something that's completely yeah. normal yeah and actually most women can't even come without rubbing their clitoris right and uh <laughs> or having some kind of stimulation of it um so what is this study about i thought i thought it was um actually that the fact that the clitoris goes deeply into the body it's not just this little piece the, that sticks out that's pretty much what they found out is that the, through the sonography that they used that they found out that the base this is still an internal orgasm so it's more accurate to say it's an external and internal orgasm mm-hmm. but that the the internal orgasm occurs from the root of the clitoris mm-hmm. you know which goes a lot deeper yeah which so, actually straddles around the vagina right so but you can have that an orgasm from the root of the clitoris by not without external um stimuli yeah against the clitoris you know that's external right so yeah so i mean freud is still 
quite frankly, an asshole, uh, you know, but, uh, he's at least wrong about that. Yeah. That it's pathological. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I, I thought that was, that was pretty fascinating. Huh? Oh, why can't we have both really? I mean, mean, like, well, what, what happens if you're stimulating both parts of the clitoris? Well, oh, then where I, does the orgasm come from well, then? then? And why do we even need to like make a distinction? Because I don't know about you ladies listening out there, but whenever a lot of female <laughs> listeners, Sovertech, thank you. And I love that. And I'm really <laughs> glad for that. But I, I don't know about you, but personally, um, I like to have both kinds of stimulation when I'm getting it on. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't really feel a differentiation between different, you know, rubbing different things it all feels good no right why I don't mean, we it, just rub all the things it, that feel it, good <laughs> right and if we can just rub them all and boy it can create i mean who knows mm-hmm. this, this is this is all a new field unfortunately it really should have been worked on a hundred years ago but well i think that's the key it's going to require more research you know some dedicated right. volunteers that's right <laughs> uh we we can we'll, we'll talk about that later uh or after the show mm. um anyway <laughs> so for our main story this is a this is a pretty good story. I, I was intrigued by this, and, and I'm dying to get your thoughts on it, Stephanie. Um, and it's from Mike Elgin, who has been a, a guest on this show in the past, and who's uh, quite the star, really. Uh, he's he's become a, a bigwig at Twit, uh, which that's no small feat. Mm. And um, But he wrote this for Datamotion, and it's, it's time to bring back techno-optimism. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about what that means. Uh, the loss of privacy and the constant flood of new gadgets is creating a backlash against technology, but unplugging isn't the answer, at least according to him. So when did technology become a bad thing? The world of, te- of technology used to be a source of inspiration and excitement, and it still is in some quarters. But lately, I'm hearing far too much grousing about technology. The complainers, fear mongers, and Debbie Downers have emerged as the dominant sentiment in conversations about new technology. New advancements are greeted with anxiety, skepticism, and ridicule. People talk incessantly about unplugging, opting out, and slowing down the pace of change. Here are the five reasons for technology's bad new reputation and what should be done about it. Huh. Well, let's stop there. Do you agree with him that nowadays when people talk about new technology, everybody's like, oh, this sucks. Let's just unplug. Well, I have made the statement on this show. Um, that's a great question. But I've made the statement on this show that uh, I don't I almost don't want new technologies to come out, at least not not in the direction they're going, be, as long as there's governments. I've made that statement on, on countless occasions. Um, and in fact, really, this show, you know, and, and, and episode 69, really, for a show like Sovereign Tech is as important as episode 100, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> more so. More so. Um, I This show started off very positive. The Snowden revelations literally hijacked Sovereign Tech. Mm-hmm. It hijacked the whole show. Wow. And I mean, people wanted to hear, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And I fell right into it. Um, in fact, I wasn't even really a privacy advocate before. If right. you listen to early episodes of Sovereign Tech, I was saying, look, you know, privacy's dead. Get over it. You yeah. Know? And then just like the Snowden revelations were just so crazy. I was like, okay, look, you've got to do something to at least to at least give the governments a hard time. You know, and and so it really, you know, all the I'm one of those Debbie Downers, you know, I'm trying to reverse that. I'm on a slow process of reversing that. But I easily became one of those Debbie Downers where I'm like, look, just stop. 
you know, and, and I've, I've even come out and said that we need to use less technology uh, or at least less time with technology. But isn't what Mike Elgin's saying just kind of a way of dismissing legitimate concerns that people might have about technology? Well, it may be. I mean, how do you feel about it? Um, I kind of feel like um, complaining when people have problems with new technology is trying to dismiss their concerns. Because I think that there's a good reason that these people, there's a reason that people used to be more optimistic about technology because they see the dark side of technology. And I've always viewed it as a double-edged sword. It can be used for good or for evil. And let's be honest, as well, as long as there's governments, um, it's probably going to be used for evil by them, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But people are waking up to that fact, and that's why they're bringing up the downsides of technology. They're not doing it to be Luddites, because I don't think anybody really wants to be a Luddite except the people who were Luddites before. Right. But if they weren't Luddites before, and now they're they're saying, yeah, let's unplug, I think that's a sign that, no, hey, they've got some real concerns that aren't being addressed, and we should listen to those concerns. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what a lot of people, myself included, no one's saying let's not go forward with technology. Or no, there are people who are saying that, certainly. Well, they but, they are not going to get their wish because it's inevitable. Yeah, but I think there is a push, at least, you know, to, to more clarify my push on technology, is I want to get back to the attitude of the late 80s and early 90s of technology, which wasn't really optimism. It was decentralization. Okay, and that's more what I'm interested in, and and I and that's more what I'm talking about. Even though I have again, I have come out and said, look, I don't want the next thing to come out of Google. I don't want the smartwatches. I don't want any of this shit. If there's governments, because they're going to use them, it's going to get used for evil. Uh, but you know, maybe not. I talked about in last week's episode. I talked to episode sixty-eight. I talked about Fire Chat, and you know, if you had that built into a watch, hey, who knows what could happen? So yeah. Well, so when you say the attitude of the late eighties and early nineties, mm-hmm. do you mean? Um, like personal computing and the beginning of the internet, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, like BBSs. There was just, it was very yeah. decentralized. And actually, what, what a lot of people forget is it was decentralized by design. Yeah. It wasn't because the technology didn't exist for all of this to come together. There was a point to it. And very these are very, very smart people. So let's go ahead and break into number one, um, because we are going to we are going to, again, spend a couple segments on this. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, Uh, Number one is personalization, uh, meaning a company harvesting of personal company harvesting of personal data, kind of like Google. I think the trouble started with personalized streams of information itself, a reaction to information overload. Google personalized search to make it more relevant, but some users felt queasy. Uh, knowing that their searches yielded different results than other people's searches for the exact same search based on personal information Google had collected on us all. I'm sorry, Brian. Is the is this list of the reasons why um, techno optimism has gone away, or the reasons why we should get back to it? Uh, it it's it's both of that. This okay. is saying where why it went away, and then it's there's going to be a solution of you know why we uh, need to get back to techno optimism. Okay. So. Um, you know, and then ads started showing up in Gmail that seemed to know exactly what our messages were saying. Uh, Facebook implemented edge rank at some point, choosing uh, what to add and what to cut off from our newsfeed based on invisible metrics that essentially made decisions for us about who we cared about. Suddenly, it seemed companies were eager to harvest every scrap of information about us, our location, age, interests, contacts, buying habits, and so much more, so they could personalize everything, especially advertising. Trouble is, 
It seems like dozens of companies from carriers to handset makers to websites to apps are all harvesting personal data to give us relevant ads, yet the ads remain spectacularly irrelevant. (laughs) Facebook doesn't seem to know even that I speak English. Most of the context advertising I see online is for products I've already purchased. Companies excel at harvesting data, but generally do a lousy job using it uh, for clear user benefit. (laughs) That's funny because, yeah, I will often get ads on Facebook that talk about, you know, stuff related, like purchase baby stuff here. I don't have any kids. In fact, I'm not gonna have any kids right. yeah, <laughs> by it, choice exactly. and uh I'll, I'll often get ads that were like oh you know you can join the military for this many um weekends a month and that kind of thing and uh, no i'm an anarchist <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i've seen uh, posts from um people who are very famous in like the expat movement like people mm-hmm. who have moved out of the u.s or canada and are traveling the world or whatever right. who get ads that say immigrate to canada apply today and you know <laughs> well you know that's an interesting thing because actually the on facebook i used to have kazakhstan as my uh where i live yes okay and i got stuff in russian you know and and like and they were they were telling me to buy at companies like you know get a samsung in kazakhstan you know or whatever wow. and and it was you know just that alone thwarted all of that but funny that said because i agree with elgin that that the you know the ads may not be so good at what they're doing That said, I did a story on Sovereign Tech just a few episodes ago where they were saying that drone strikes were being based upon metadata from smartphones, including searches. Okay, on Google. So, yeah, maybe it's not maybe it's not heading as hard at home, you know, in the United States. But this is something that the military is looking into using or at least governments are looking into using in the search for terrorists. Hmm. Uh, So, you know, and uh, that information is often wrong. Yeah, yeah, that, that was actually part of my argument, is that you can't base it on this stuff. Now, it's easy enough to, uh, you can use, like, disconnect search, disconnect.me search, and that will actually anonymize any, actually, any search box you type into anywhere on the internet in your browser, it will anonymize it. Wow. Yeah, it's a really, really handy tool to use. Uh, or you can use something like DuckDuckGo. Uh, which I'm a huge fan of. I use that almost exclusively. Uh, DuckDuckGo will let you, you know, it, they don't keep logs of anything and it uses Bing as its backend. Uh, so, you know, its search results might not be as relevant, like, say, with using StartPage, which is another option. But I get his point. They're not that good at what they do. But the, there's still the attitude that that governments and the military clearly have of that they want to use this information to find enemies. Right. You know, and and that's that's a you know that's a bit of a problem. Well, they don't really care if it's accurate. They just want to be able to say, "Oh, we caught twenty five thousand potential terrorists." Yeah, even it, if they created them, right. or even if <laughs> even if they're catching innocent people in their dragnet. Yeah. So I, I mean, you know, with it, it definitely makes people feel better. It's like, oh no, no, we we checked his searches. He searched for this stuff. Not good, you know. Right. And uh, and of course they want to claim like the the use of this data to find uh, you know pedophiles and all that stuff, which is the ultimate accusation, whether true or not, against oh, anybody. Uh, so you know, so as far as point number one, I think Elgin's a little off. He's missing the attitude of people, and that's to me the most important thing is attitude, not money. Don't follow. You know, I always say this: don't follow the money, follow the attitude. And the attitude's wrong that's using this kind of information. So we'll get into number two. We'll be right back with more.
spike. Launch. Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you? Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness! Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. The time is coming gone! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Tech Roulette. You want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, and I always want to play, but actually, I'm not doing Tech Roulette this week. Uh, this week, of course, I'm joined by the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Hello. I and, want to play still. Okay, well... <laughs> I mean, it is set episode 69. Yeah, we'll get to play, don't worry. Um, next break. And the, <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, last episode, in episode 68, I actually did a double Tech Roulette. So this week I'm doing a double uh, main story. So how about that? Um, anyway, we're talking about Mike Elgin's five reasons to get back to techno optimism. And he's trying to sort of debunk the concerns that a lot of people have about technology, especially after things like the Snowden revelations. Um, and so we, we went over number one, of course, which is uh, personalization, you know, companies harvesting personal data. Let's get right into number two. Uh, and this is surveillance. And actually, I want to talk about surveillance a lot more during Hacker Stories with you, uh, Stephanie, mm-hmm. um, and, and we'll do that later. So, But anyway, this is the government harvesting of personal data. Last one was companies harvesting it. Now we're talking about governments, which I think they're kind of part and parcel. And what we said in the last segment probably applies to this, too, but I'll read it. The Edward Snowden revelations hit. Woo boy, did this sour people on technology. It seems that half the cool new gadgets, apps, or services I post on Google+, a well-known bastion of geek enthusiasms, a few people always chime in to say they believe the NSA is listening in or that it's all an NSA plot. For example, I posted about new electronic tattoo technology that will revolutionize healthcare and save lives. A few commentators said the NSA will love it because they can track everyone's biometrics. Government mass surveillance has soured the public on technology. We see shady spies lurking behind every app and under every gadget. And he doesn't really have a whole lot to say about that. But I think it falls under the same thing we were saying in the last segment where... No, yeah, the government does use this stuff. They do. They do collect it. That's what all. That's what all these, uh, you know, uh, requests are to like Google and Microsoft and whatever other company. Okay, give us all the information you have on this user. So yeah, they do use it, and private companies use it too. Right. Uh, they use it for all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Like we said, ads or whatever. Some of it maybe even nefarious. You know, I, I've mentioned on this show before. I'm concerned about uh, when you know when health insurance with things like Obamacare and whatever. Uh, when health insurance gets in the game of keeping track of your metadata, uh, you, you know, you're in for a scary time. Yeah. Because as soon as they say, I mean, you know, there's okay. There's already some kind of um, credit reporting agency that affects your health insurance rates and things right. like that. Right. And actually, uh, we were just watching a video on credit scores yesterday. Yes. 
that was scary. I mean, like lightning. <laughs> they they are not supposed to cha- uh, track your race or your age, but they track this thing based on your address that's called like living in an HMA, which is high minority area. So like, basically, if you live in a black neighborhood, they're like, oh, that person must be black. Therefore, their credit score gets dinged. Yeah. I mean, it's blatantly racist, and they're not supposed to be doing it. But of course, they find ways around those little restrictions. Right. So, you know, this harvesting of data has genuine concerns. And this is where I, you know, this is where I come off saying, look, we need to just hold off on some of this new stuff unless it's specifically being designed to thwart governments like, say, MadeSafe or something like that. We need to hold off because it's going to get used against us, uh, whether it's seen or unseen. I, I think that that'll that that would be the case. But anyway, number three, we'll move on. Hmm. Um, but uh, wait a minute. One more point on number two. Sure, please. Um, There's this idea that we've talked about a few times before, although I don't know if we've talked about it on this show, but definitely on Free Talk Live, where what if the whole NSA spying, what if the government doesn't actually have these powerful capabilities to spy on everybody as people think they do? You know what I mean? They're not this actually all seeing eye. What if some of it is lies or exaggerations and they really don't have the same capabilities that we believe that they do? Um, They just want us to think that they can spy on everybody so that we'll, I don't know, be scared and fall in line and be easier to control. Sure. If that's so, I still think decentralization is the way to go because decentralization isn't just about, you know, like protecting your information. It's also about protecting the system. Mm-hmm. It's about protecting, uh, like I had David Irwin on, uh, in a great special about MadeSafe, And he said, look, he says, you try to find, he said, he, he said he looks in nature. Okay. To find what to develop, you know, and how to develop. And he says, you don't find central servers in nature. He says, they don't exist. He says, everything's decentralized out there, you know, and that creates redundancy. So whether or not that's true that they have these powers, the direction that we seem to be going with cryptography, not necessarily cryptography, but at least the decentralization of systems is still, I think, the right way to go for efficiency's sake, Uh, even though some would claim the opposite, that it's actually more efficient to have a central system. Uh, Hmm. I wonder about that. Uh, you know, and maybe that's a conversation that has to be had. Uh, well, I was just thinking about that in nature. I think I see, but bo- I mean, like, what about the queen bee or the queen ant or something? She's the only one who lays the eggs. Okay. Uh, yeah. That like in that, but only in that service, because mm-hmm. the ants are a great example. And we actually talked about David and I talked about ants Yeah. in that ants just do it. You know, they 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 just work completely on their own. That there isn't actually yeah. a centralized system. Uh, yeah, not for the it, work that they do, just for the reproductive. Right, but uh, even in that, mm-hmm. any ant can fill in any role that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Okay, like their soldier and whatever, and and that's not up to the queen or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, it right. just it just it, the system decides for itself what it needs to be, and so it's not really centralized. Hmm. Well, when there's only one female, though. I don't know. Maybe we're well, well, yeah, we're we're getting we're getting into like deeper than that than that deserves because you have to get into like the reproductive choices of ants because actually there's no male there's really no male ants like like the the, the way male ants get created mm-hmm. is uh, is is kind of an interesting trick that's something worth looking into more. Um, <laughs> right, but uh, okay. The original point that I wanted to bring up about that was um, if. If this panopticon thing isn't really real, if people just believe, if it mostly exists in people's minds, that mm-hmm. they think the government's so powerful and able to spy on us, but it really can't do that much. Right. Um, 
then like these people commenting on new apps and stuff and being really skeptical of them are just kind of strengthening that they're just falling into that right into that trap right who is Oh, the people who say whenever a new app comes out, oh, this is going to be used for spying. Uh-huh. If the spying isn't really real, then who who are those people? Are they just mistaken? Are they government trolls who are trying to reinforce the idea that the oh, government right. can see oh, everything? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think most people that just come out and say it's for the NSA, uh, like blatantly, I don't think they really know anything. Hmm. No, no one else would. I mean, who would talk that 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 surely? You know. Yeah, well, unless they were a paid troll, I, I'm getting really conspiratorial yeah, here, and I can, you are. And I can, <laughs> that's okay, and I can because it's sovereign tech. But right. I mean, the government does pay people to troll forums and stuff like that. Sure, that's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's entirely possible. But regardless, the direction we're going with technology is the direction to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get on to to numbers. We still got three more to go through. Um, the irrelevance of Moore's law. Which is Moore's law, of course, is the idea, uh, you know, everything doubles in like six months or speed doubles, whatever. Uh, and so his whole point is that uh, I'll, I'll just skip ahead a little. Ordinary users aren't all that excited about the future of computer power anymore. That's one reason why PC sales have been dropping and will continue to do so in the foreseeable future. Even the smartphone smartphone world is all but done with progress. Samsung's Galaxy S5 uh, and Apple's iPhone 5S are those, you know, are those companies' best flagship phones? Yes, they're quote unquote better than previous versions, but besides a minority of hardcore gadget fans, the larger public doesn't care that much. The older versions are fine, and most people aren't excited about the future of smartphones. And you can read a little bit more about that because he talks about cloud storage too and all this stuff. And yeah, it, it almost feels like it's to the point where you know who who cares? You know, how many more pixels can you go? How much more? Like, I mean, the S5 isn't like that big of a leap. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think the I think what people what's happening with as far as this goes about not being excited about new technology is because they're really not coming up with anything new. Everything that's in the Galaxy S5, I guarantee Samsung developed five years ago. And now by their business model and plan, <laughs> they're finally implementing it. Mm. They already had it. Mm-hmm. They're waiting. And I think maybe some, you know, unconsciously, I think consumers are realizing, wait a minute, you're holding off when this stuff could be so much better right now. Hmm. And I think they're just, you know, everything's incremental and and they see it as the BS that it is. So I don't I think, you know, yeah, I'd love for people to get excited about, you know, Moore's law about everything, you know, getting faster and whatever. But a nothing will make use of it. And B, uh, you know, again, I, I think a lot of it's just a crock. But how are they able to um, hold back technologies that they have for five years or even like six months? Because it is, I know that there are like, you know, only a few companies that make phones, but it's not completely monopolized. You would think somebody would break the cartel and release the technology ahead of time so they would get an edge on their competitors, no? No, because I, I think they all, I mean, like a lot of these patent cases where they're arguing, I think a lot of that is just showing how much these two companies talk to each other. Hmm. So I'll go conspiratorial and say all these companies are holding everything back on purpose. Wow. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll I, I don't mind saying that like HTC comes out of nowhere with this gorgeous phone, you know, that actually kind of goes leaps and bounds in some degree of technology and uh, people get mad about it, hmm. you know, and there's like this, you know, if a company tries and does that, does what you're talking about, I think the cartel trashes them hmm. and gives them a very hard time. 
Wow. Oh, all right. So, I mean, Maybe. I, that's, you know, I think they just, they all know, because they, they all know that their business model requires them to sell multiple. Uh, it's like TVs, you know. Sometimes the technology itself is BS. There's no point to 4K televisions. There's no point. People can email and say they disagree. No, look, there's no point. Yeah, to your 4K eye can't television. detect that. Yeah, there's there's no fast. point. And so all the companies just kind of say, okay, yeah, 4K, that's where we're going to push this year. So they talk to each other. Hmm. And and they decide what tech is going to get out there. You know, even Apple does that, I think. So uh, number four, in-your-face tech people. Uh, The mainstreaming of technology and the rise of social networks, ubiquitous blogs and Twitter have thrust all kinds of annoying tech people into our faces. Oracle's CEO buys his own Hawaiian island. Google founders buy their own private terminal at Silicon Silicon Valley's biggest airport. And Amazon CEO buys uh, the Washington Post. Artists and other underpaid San Francisco residents are fed up with Silicon Valley employees driving up the cost of living in the city and adding to gridlock with their leather-upholstered Wi-Fi commute buses, which are closed to the public, so much so that they're protesting and barricading them. And now I have to wait for page two to load. (laughs) And Silicon Valley's constant parties, awards, socializing and schmoozing, reaching a crescendo at the overpriced and therefore exclusive South by Southwest interactive event. uh, Great on the public nerve. People are getting tired of Tesla driving elitist glass holes, living it up so publicly. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily like agree with that, that that's why people are against technology. I don't think that that makes any sense. I think people want to be those people, and I think a lot of them live vicariously through following them on Twitter. Yeah, I, I don't see many of those people in my life. No. I don't, maybe I just don't pay attention, but and they're still out there. I do see glass holes, but not people who are just showing off like that. Really. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that's that's really an entirely I don't think that's a reason that people are don't have techno optimism anymore. Um, I mean, it is a bad economy. Sure. And when it's a bad economy in general, but certain people are doing really well, I think people may have this innate sense that they're not doing well because they really like did something productive and important. Perhaps they're doing well because of some kind of malinvestment that's created by the government or like government largesse or like some connection that they have or and and then there's the sense that, well, that's not fair. You know, what a jerk. Right. Yeah, but again, I don't see any of that leading to I don't want to use technology. Yeah, no, me neither. No, I, I just, that's, <laughs> yeah, it seems completely disconnected. Yeah. So number five, though, this one's interesting. Uh, social networking fatigue. Speaking of success theater, most adults have formed a love-hate relationship with social media. Oh, we'd, we'd yes, love it because, I have that. Yeah, we love it because we like to post food pictures and selfies and look at my talented kids' photos and vacation snapshots. We hate it because other people like to do the same. Social media has become a joyless compulsion for some. Uh, we're like those dead-eyed gamblers you see on the nickel slots in Vegas or on the pachinko parlors of tokyo robotically shoving coins into a machine and repeatedly push pressing the button which start what started out as a passion has simply become something we need because of a mindless addiction yeah isn't that the truth i feel that way yeah i don't know if that leads to the lack of techno optimism but um it definitely it adds you know maybe it does because social media is one of those things that make me say yeah, maybe all this technology is not is hurting us a lot more than it's helping us. Yeah, I, I when I, when you start to feel controlled by your 
Twitter and Facebook, yeah. you know, then it's then it's like really bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it was and enough it does. to try it controls to your life. You got to respond to the likes. You got to retweet. You got to you know. And, you take and it's pick. never finished. That's the thing. Like you can't just clear it out. Like right. Every time I try to clear my notifications, and this is like the definition of insanity. Like trying to do something and thinking you'll get a different result. But <laughs> I, I try to clear my notifications, and then by the time I get through all of them, there's more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hear <laughs> you, you know. So, well, let's get into his answer here. Uh, He says the answer to all of this, to getting techno optimism back, the answer is to remember that we all used to believe uh, is, is to remember what we all used to believe, that technology would always make the world better. And in fact, it can. If we feel violated by the NSA, for example, the answer isn't to unplug and go off the grid, turn back the clock and stop using products and services exploited by the mass surveillance agencies. No. The answer, as Edward Snowden said at South by Southwest, is more and better technology that thwarts surveillance. And this is exactly what I said, is that actually the direction we're going is solving all the problems right? with technology. You're like the modern day Edward Snowden with a tinfoil hat on his head. Uh, it's a it's a yam, It's a kippa. And it's aluminum. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll read a little bit more. Uh, let's see. Tim Berners, the answer is to listen to web inventor, the, the guy that invented the World Wide Web, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, and take back the web from the governments and corporations. The answer isn't the negative resignation that's spreading like cancer, but for all of us to get excited about the possibilities of an Internet that can't be surveilled or censored. If we don't like some aspects of personalization, then support technology that doesn't use it. Like I mentioned, disconnect.me, uh, good duck, duck, go. If we don't care about speeds and feeds with our computers and smartphones anymore, then let's leverage Moore's law to produce exactly the devices we really do want. Maybe we want giant touchscreen desktops. Maybe we want Google's modular phone ideas. It's Moore's law that will make all that possible. So let's re-embrace it. Uh, and social networking fatigue. Yeah. Go ahead and cancel your Facebook account enough already. I'm with him there. Can't disagree with that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The point is that the future is in our hands. Thanks to technology. It's time to get excited again and to apply ourselves to building and buying and using new tools that solve the problems we care about. It's called optimism and we need it now more than ever. So really he is actually pitching, you know, kind of the, the, the answers that we talked about, um, that, you know, that, that, encrypted technologies things like this are exactly what you know what needs to be used it's not so not not less technology but more technology but Mm -hmm. technology with the right attitude the problem is is that in a lot of this article he's debunking it without without talking about the attitude of governments and surveillance agencies which is you know they want more technology too and yeah you know they have the limitless printing press of money yeah it's fine to be an optimist but um in being an optimist to ignore um, things like legitimate concerns right. may not be the best idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with the sentiment. Yeah. Delete your Facebook account already, you know, or the idea of, um, you know, just just then support the technologies that are, you know, for that are privacy yeah, minded. I agree with him. Like so something like social media fatigue doesn't mean that all technology is bad and we should all go live in the woods right. for sure. And like you can kind of isolate that and separate it out from the other things that you maybe do like about technology. Yeah, absolutely. And so his answer is pretty good. I just like his debunking of some of the problems. I really do disagree with. I imagine you you, you feel the same. Yeah, I I do too. Like he didn't really say anything about the government, like we said before. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, can you expect that from? Well, I mean, that's why I do sovereign tech is because there's got to be an anarchist out there somewhere, you know, laying it out with an aluminum foil kippa. With an aluminum foil kippa. That's right. (laughs) 
Anyway, we'll be back with more. I'm okay with being optimistic, but keep real, too. Let's get real. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. When you walk by a Victoria's Secret, it's easy to assume that women have always worn bras. However, bras weren't even invented until the 1860s, and it wasn't until the 1920s that most women started wearing bras instead of corsets. Three important changes needed to take place before bras would become popular. By the 1920s, there was a huge increase in the number of women who started riding bicycles, playing golf, tennis, and swimming. It was difficult to enjoy these kinds of sports while wearing a corset. Also, women started entering the workforce in large numbers. Telephones had become very popular by the 1920s, and this required a huge number of telephone operators who were almost always women. Back then, it required an operator to make a phone call, and operators needed to reach across large switchboards to complete each call. This was almost impossible to do while wearing a corset. And finally, the materials and the designs that were needed for bras to become comfortable didn't come about until almost the 1920s, when changes in bra designs resulted in bras with adjustable straps, soft cups, and easy fasteners. It was also around this time that bra prices would finally drop low enough so that working women could afford them. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, where I cover software that's sometimes good, sometimes it's terrible, sometimes it's something that's up and coming. Uh, And this week, I am very, very pleased at what has been released uh, for the software that I'm going to talk about. And of course, I have Stephanie with me. Hello. Hello. And this is software. This is an Android app, and it is only for Android, and it's in the Play Store. And you can go to SovereignTech.com, and you can click on the link in the show notes for episode 69. Uh, (laughs) And this is actually something developed by a guy that's somewhat of a hero of mine, and that's John uh, McAfee. And he, McAfee, you may... You know, may sound familiar to a lot of listeners of the show because McAfee is the name of a popular antivirus software that's been around for a long time. One of the first antivirus softwares, uh, uh, pieces of software. And, you know, actually, it's getting renamed now. McAfee is not going to be called McAfee anymore because I don't think they want it to be in any way related to John McAfee because he's a he's a bit of a. Um, bit of a playboy bit of a you know very controversial human being so but uh (laughs) (laughs) you're a bit of a controversial human being i am a controversial human being maybe that's why you like him so much maybe i'm I'm in good company as far as that goes Uh, anyway Mm. this is called decentral one and it's literally the letter d then the word central and then one and what it is it's you know John McAfee started a new uh, a new company called Future Tense Secure Systems Inc and this is exactly the kind of stuff that Mike Elgin was talking about in the article that we discussed um where it's you know it's an app that's designed to to inform you about your privacy and what it'll do is is that when you install it uh at first it can do a uh, kind of an assessment of your tablet or smartphone and it will tell you okay these all these apps it'll inform you what their permissions are can this app turn on the microphone can this app control your uh uh you know camera can this app access your contact information your contacts uh and and that's really right now that's all it does okay 
but it's it's planning on doing a whole lot more. And I think this is really important. This is an important thing to, to have is that now granted when you download something from the Play Store, okay, it will tell you, you know, what permissions it has. Uh, but the nice thing here is it's it's kind of a, a second it's kind of a filter because when you install something from the, you know, onto your phone, Decentral, no matter where you installed it from, because not every not every uh, uh, store that you can install on an Android device, like the Amazon store or F-Droid or whatever, can tell you or will tell you what permissions are required. So it does an assessment of what every app you install asks for, and it says, do you trust it? It'll ask you. It'll, it'll, t- it'll list them off, and you can say trust it or uninstall. Mm. And that's really handy. Yeah, you know, because and and you you know if you hit trust it, then it'll it'll keep it on your computer. If you don't, if you're like, whoa, I didn't know it did this, you can hit uninstall. And I think going into the future, or if you're you know the more conspiratorial type and very concerned about you know, well, maybe Google's not telling me everything. Well, Decentral will tell you everything. It's it's a third mm. party. It's a second opinion mm. on what apps you install. And I think it's pretty important. I mean, you know, I tell people, we, we mentioned the, the ESD Crypto Phone 500. Uh, you know, that's nice that it has all that technology built into it, but the, you know, to, to keep your privacy. But the instant you install Facebook Messenger, yeah, it's, it's over. Gone. <laughs> it's over. I say this all the time because Facebook Messenger can access your camera, can access your microphone at any time it wants to. Yeah. And it will. Okay. I wonder if there could be um, a phone that would like basically not allow you to install certain apps that would violate your privacy. That may be. Decentral might eventually get to the point where it can do that. In fact, yeah. what I really hope Decentral will become, uh, and John McAfee would would love for this too, I'm sure, where it will trick out. It'll essentially put like a feedback loop to say like Facebook Messenger where it will tell it that, oh yeah, you're accessing the microphone, but in reality it doesn't. Mm. Uh, that's something I'd like to see that kind of technology. I've heard there there's, um, uh, zoom, zoom wall or something like that. I, I forget the name of it. Snoop wall is the name of the app. Snoop wall supposedly might start to do that. I don't know. Uh, and that's actually a company out of New Hampshire, if I'm not mistaken. So, but Decentral's huh. a great start for this sort of thing. Uh, Decentral one. So it's in the play store. You can download it officially. Yeah. Um, if anything, it's a sort of a watchdog or a check and balance and just yeah. some, some kind of third party second opinion, like you said. Yeah. And I, I, nothing wrong with that. And like I said, it's just, it's a good start and it's something that can grow. Uh, you know, a lot of things like fire chat. Sure. Fire chat's just kind of proof of concept right now. So it's Decentral, but they're showing where the stuff can lead to and installing it shows interest that's a market signal saying yeah we want more of this so go for it the central one by john may from big finish productions blake seven the classic audio adventures i'm taking liberator in on manual we'll be in teleport range in two minutes what the hell was that information Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. Which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. 
It is time for listener emails, where I cover questions that get sent to me through the various channels available to you. Of course, you can find all of those channels, Twitter, Google+, uh, the email address, SovereignTech at RiseUp.net. If you go to SovereignTech.com and you look to the left side of the page, all of that is listed for you to be able to get in touch with me. And please feel free to do so. I don't always reply to the emails. Uh, I do a lot of audio now and I get questions for pretty much every show that I'm on. Um, and all of which I happen to be on also with my special guest for episode 69, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Thank you for being here. Of course. Can I be your special friend? You are my special friend. Mm. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so, um, you know, you can get in touch with me. Like I said, I get questions. I get emails from Free Talk Live. I get emails from Sex and Science Hour. And I just, you know, I, I really I don't have all the time in the world to answer all of them directly. But I try to get to them uh, on, you know, in listener email. And like I said in the last episode, oftentimes I'll just kind of wrap them up in that a lot of people ask me the same question. And this is one that I kind of teased. I said, look, you're going to have to email me if you want me to talk about it. And a lot of people did. And they want to know, because I said, you know, one of one of the things I've talked about quite a bit, and I've given talks at the Texas Bitcoin Conference, um, and I will be giving a talk at the Toronto Bitcoin Conference, um, about the, the fact that gold, all, all these things we get told about why gold is a store of value and why it has value uh, is pretty much nonsense. And that at the end of the day, the only possible value we can attribute to it, and again, value is subjective, okay? It is not intrinsic, value is subjective. As soon as you accept that value is subjective, intrinsic value goes out the door, okay? Um, you know, you come to the conclusion that gold is just valuable because it's pretty, you know? Because there's been other things that can do every that can do everything that gold could 6,000 years ago, not today, different story today. We have electronics today, but we didn't 6,000 years ago apparently uh that you know that gold wouldn't work for and so you have the cowrie shell which which could have you know that that actually did get used more so than gold mm. i would dispute the idea that gold is valuable or was valuable because it was pretty mm -hmm. because there certainly are other things that are pretty that aren't like gold or i that, think that's that a, weren't like gold i think that's a fair dispute um and but i mean it may be prettiness is part of it but that wasn't the whole story no, exactly. And that, that was my point, is that I, that can't be... That, that's what I eventually admitted. In my talks, I don't really admit to it because I don't mm. want to go down that road. Right. Okay. But what I did admit in the special that you and I actually did about the Texas Bitcoin conference is that, look, I don't think that that's the reason that gold actually has value to humanity 6,000 years ago, however many thousands of years ago. Um, but the reason I don't talk about why I think it has value is because I have nothing to back it up with. Not really, anyway. It's, it's, it's all supposition and absolute theory. Um, and so, you know, I said, and if you want to know what those are, you can email me. And so that's, that's where we are right now. Um, so what do I think the value of gold is? Uh, you know, where did it come from? And I think it's key maybe in the fact that, yes, it's used in electronics, but we're not talking about today. We're talking about thousands of years ago. What started it? And I think the answer may Aliens. still, may <clears throat> still uh, uh, No. <laughs> no. <laughs> not aliens. Um, <laughs> well, we, thank you for saying that, Stephanie. Let's get that right out of the gate. Um, it is not aliens. But the answer may be electronics. Just electronics that we 
may not know about? The answer may be, again, I don't have anything to back this up, folks. If you're going to ask me, show me the proof, I can't show you any proof, okay? I just can't. Um, But I am of the belief that there is a wall of history, okay, where archaeologists who are pretty much, you know, paid or unpaid liars a lot of times... uh, well, I mean, Ooh, Stephanie... Going after the sacred cows well, here. <laughs> well, I mean, you know as well as I do, I've shown you some of the some of this evidence, that archaeologists, if, if things don't fit in their worldview, they cover it up or they lock it away. Yeah. Well, that's true. It's like the, fres- the erotic frescoes in Pompeii. Sure. Uh, or how about that goat? Yeah, you know? that was in a... Um, there was a statue that was found also in Pompeii of a guy having sex with a female goat. Right. And um, that was locked in a secret room in the British Museum uh, of yeah, Art. I think it was an Italian museum. Oh, yeah, Italian yeah, museum, yeah. right. Well, Europeans, white people. Right. What's the difference, really? They all look the same. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But it was locked away in a secret room, and only basically the elites could get to it and see it. Yeah, so... The common people weren't allowed access. Exactly. And, you know, there's there's cave drawings that get interpreted to where they don't, because if, if it's showing something that somebody doesn't like, they're going to say, oh, no, it actually it means this. Yeah. Now, again, I'm in no way saying aliens whatsoever at all. Um, and, you know, like in Brazil, I talked about on this show in Brazil, they found 30,000 year old uh, cave paintings. And only today do people feel do people feel comfortable admitting that it was cave paintings of an orgy mm. okay you know i mean i guarantee if that was found in the 1940s they would have said uh you know they're yeah. doing some kind of like sacred dance or yeah. something it's not and sometimes archaeologists don't even do that consciously it's sure. just that they like they another thing that they'll do is like describe ancient cultures like as being like as having marriage and stuff like that right when to that culture that really wasn't marriage it's just that that's what the archaeologist is used to that's their cultural reference point yeah exactly. and they project it onto the ancient culture when that's not really what they're describing precisely or you even have you have a degree of elitism where in say during the times of the british empire which is a time when a lot of archaeological uh, uh you know discoveries are being made and people had to write the 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 government representatives in the area where the archaeological dig was occurring they would fudge the you know the writings about the area that they're in or say like even it was not just archaeology say it was anthropology or say you know it was cultural studies sociology where they were studying a tribe they would purposely write back to the queen or the king and say yeah you know they they're 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 decadent they're or you know they're um they're they're backwater you know they'd write some something really mm. nasty when that's not the case at all you know but they'd have to make sure that the you know that their existence was justified yeah and that the house of lords felt good about themselves yeah you would not want to write back home saying oh these people are actually doing it a lot better than we are wow yeah you know the, so yeah you, it's the um ancient version of um you know, scientists trying to get government grants. They're just right. trying to twisting the research facts and data to so they can get please the people that fund them. Exactly. Exactly. So you have to understand that this is so this is and this is the main key of evidence that I can give to anybody is that, look, these people have been lying for a long time mm. about what's going on. Now, again, I have to also preface it's not aliens. OK, but there's no reason Especially, uh, here's a piece of evidence. You have a skull five, okay, which is a very popular skull. It was found in Israel. It's 80,000 years old. This skull 
whoever this human was is perfect i mean like like there's no you know you expect uh you expect mess, messed up teeth mm-hmm. or you expect all the like contusions or whatever you, you expect all these kind of problems uh with with a skull because you know it was a hard life during paleo times or during you know pick your time frame mm-hmm. okay before there was farming before there was civilization supposedly everything was rough not according to this guy According to this guy, life was good, you know, and and so what exactly good life was he having? Mm -hmm. And so we also now we find cities, you know, Sumer, okay, Uh, Sumer, you know, cities like Nineveh. We judge those as being the oldest uh, civilizations that we can find. But then you go to Turkey and suddenly you find cities there that are 20,000 years old. That are 20,000 years old. And this is important because they found that city 30 years ago, 20. No, it was like 20 years ago. Mm. And they could not believe the dating evidence. Mm. And so they said, no, this, it's just, it's not true. This was actually built uh, 5,000 years ago. Mm. You know, it can't be so. No, we know the dating evidence says the damn thing's 20,000 years old, but it didn't fit into the archaeologist's worldview just 20 years ago. And so they lied. Mm. So my question becomes is that you have this wall of history that historians refuse to go past. You get to Sumer, no one wants to talk about anything that happened before Sumer. Doesn't matter how much evidence we have in India of cities that go back thousands and thousands of years far before Sumer. It doesn't, none of that stuff matters. So my case here is that I think that there has been, that there were advanced civilizations, human civilizations, human civilizations, long before, you know, we we ever thought of civilization in in our common thought in our in the common narrative before sumer long before because we have gold mines that we find in south uh south america and south africa that we date again the dating you know because here's the thing if you're if you're going to question the dating techniques then guess what all of history is up for grabs you know what i mean it it really yeah. is an all or nothing situation it can be tricky to date things too sure it can be you know, and, and there's there's you know, there's questions and, and all that goes, but then as soon as you start questioning it, like I said, everything comes up for grabs. Right. All of history comes up for grabs. Right. So we we find gold mines. What the hell were a hundred and over a hundred thousand year old human beings doing mining for gold when there isn't even civilization? <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a poor metal to even to make weapons out of, to make tools out of. You don't use gold for that. Right. Okay. Supposedly, if they were having these lives where they're crawling around in caves going, oog, then right. why would they need gold? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't and even have any spare wealth to accumulate. No, no, no. Everything is, uh, you know, I mean, in the diamonds and water equation, water's everything. Fuck the diamonds in this time frame, okay? <laughs> right. So, you know, what 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 are these mines coming from? And I think that, you know, I think what it is is that maybe there was, a, you know, there was an advanced you know, uh, civilization of humans, not species, advanced civilization of humans that, uh, you know, was, was needed. They wanted gold for say technology because gold's great for technology. There's no questions there. Mm. Okay. I'm not doubting that. Uh, and you know, I mean that that's, and what happened is, is that over time history gets remembered, you know, maybe there was, I mean, there are some cataclysms we know about like the, the Toba super volcano, where humanity got sized down to under 5,000, uh, you know, members of the species walking around the earth. Um, you know, y- you essentially had a global Pompeii that occurred um, that who knows how much evidence that wiped out uh, to what I'm talking about. Totally. I'm being totally theoretical here. Okay. Um, and 
you know, maybe there's just stories that, yeah, gold is used by these people, or maybe these advanced civilizations kind of lived on and what like the Egyptians or the Sumerians wrote down as gods were actually just technologically advanced human beings, not aliens, but technologically advanced human beings that lived on and they wanted gold, you know? Um, and so I, I wonder about that. And there's other things you can read. There's like Hesoid's, uh, you know, he talks about the golden age. He was a Greek. He's, he's considered the first economist mm. and he talks about the golden age of humanity you know, which was a time where it sounds like people were living the good life, like we mentioned with Skull 5. So you, you kind of have these these narratives that seem to come together to say that there was something before, or I mention often uh, Barossus in the Library of Alexandria, mm. who wrote a history that was 100,000 years old. What history was he writing about that was 100,000 years old if our history stops at six? Yeah. You know, or even 20. Mm. And you, you got to wonder. We don't know. We only, we only have scraps of his books. They're, they're gone. Uh, they got burned up by christians <laughs> i mean it's just it's who did it okay uh and so you know i wonder so i mean stephanie what do you what do you think about all that uh well i was going to mention that the the sumerians didn't they like mention the pyramids or something and the pyramids weren't supposed to have existed at that time yeah i've talked about that on this show quite a bit about how the sphinx and the pyramids mm-hmm. uh were not built by the egyptians i think yeah. there's there's pretty decent evidence autographical evidence in fact um that that says that they that they didn't mm. and that there's another case where the, where they lied you know or where the archaeologists lied they lied to the point to where they they put up you know they they made graffiti inside the great pyramid saying it was built by kafu there's no writing in the whole damn thing and and suddenly they find all just this magical writing that's just sitting <laughs> no they put it there okay again not aliens yeah so i mean like not everything that you learn about history is necessarily completely correct right and sometimes people make mistakes uh you know intentionally or unintentionally about historical records and then it becomes essentially fact because it's taught to people in government schools and so forth and so yeah i'm open to the idea that there could be advanced humans that we don't know about that kind of got buried in history because it's it's hard to imagine a lot of stuff lasting longer than 10,000 years. I mean, that's a long time yeah. and a lot can happen in that time frame. Yeah. And I'm not the only one that thinks this way. I mean, and some people have talked about that. The point of technology they got to is to where the technology was really green, like it was green tech. Mm. And so it was designed to biodegrade oh. things like that. I mean, I mean, that's getting kind of outlandish <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. But I mean, but bottom line is the value of gold is based upon the fact that civilizations with very high technology considered it very important and that myth carried on mm. to the Bab- to the Sumerians to the Babylonians you know to all these people and so and and I said maybe somebody knows about this you know maybe maybe somebody knows about that and that the gods weren't actually gods they were just you know human beings that that have some degree of advanced technology I mean what do you think about it? you you so you're open to this being a possibility well the only idea the, the only thing is like how did not the only thing there are lots of like holes in that theory and things that don't make sense of course but uh just like with every other theory but um how how would an advanced civilization then turn into starting over from scratch essentially with you know what happened in the middle east like at the beginning of recorded history that we know about um how that would happen you know there's again you have the volcano you have the flood. You, you have, yeah, you have some big, pretty... It's a big planet, though. I mean... Uh... Well, I don't think they all disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, but then maybe eventually they just kind of... You know, I, I don't know. Maybe they said, look, technology caused this. I I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... I mean, I... 
it, I've given this a lot of thought, but yeah, there's definitely definitely holes in the matter. Um, but I mean, yeah. cause, cause I, but, but how a- else would you explain it? I mean, anytime you try to make a theory to explain something that's unexplained or, right. or unex- perhaps unexplainable, um, there might be problems with it, you know, and, sure. and we don't know until we get some more evidence. Right. Um, but I will say that it makes more sense than aliens. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, it's like uh, with, you know, when, when people write about the gods, you know, they write about them like, oh, he was jealous. Oh, he's this. You know, it sounds like a love- human. Yeah. They, they give him human traits. Now, maybe that's because that's all they understand, or maybe it's because they were actually human. You know, that's why they're given so many human traits, because it was a human being, not an alien, a human being. Okay. <laughs> it might as well be an alien if it's like some advanced human being, and then they're dealing with a bunch of desert dwelling, you know, cretins, basically. <laughs> yeah, but there's that's the thing, is that now there's some there's some degree of evidence that people like to look at as far as, um, you know, archeological evidence of, uh, you know, of, of bones of something that, that may be alien and not necessarily human. But I think you, you have more of a case to be made for that. You know, we have plenty of human bones to look at and maybe they they can tell a story of a life of luxury that existed a hundred thousand years ago. Hey, Brian, what's that funny sticker over your laptop webcam? I was trying to spy on you while you were in the shower, but now I can't. See, that's why I have it. And it's from EFF.org. EFF? What's that? It's the Electronic Frontier Foundation, totally donor-funded organization that fights for internet freedom, privacy. Wow, that sounds great. So EFF.org, I support internet freedom and privacy, and maybe you do too. Yeah, and you can support them with Bitcoin. The Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org. Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, where we talk video games. But before I go any further, and of course I have the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy with me. Hello. And, uh, you know, this is why I actually wore my tinfoil hat, because... <laughs> you I, you're getting some good use out of it today. Yeah, <laughs> I, I went balls out on that, <laughs> that last. That's segment. okay. It's episode sixty nine. That's we right. Have a we, little fun. With we it. can go. We can go crazy. <laughs> um, you know, and and I I want to address that. Like, you know, what's the importance of even thinking about history in that way? Uh, and I, you know, and just real quick, I just want to say that I I think it's important because you know maybe maybe we've gone down the road we're going down before, and if there's information of how it went before. I'd like to know about it. It's just like there, there have been anarchist societies in human history that we don't know that we have very little data on, but there's little data. There is a little data out there like ones in Russia uh, mm. or the, the pirate, uh, you know, anarchist haven that existed a, a few hundred years ago. Um, and, you know, let's find out, you know, what, what exactly, you know, all this was about and let's see what, what information we can have. Cause otherwise nobody really talks about it. I'd never do about those things, mm. uh, you know, until I read about them myself. So, anyway, um, you know, let, let's get into game talk. Uh, and and Stephanie, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> not uh, not looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, though suddenly your eyes are changing the way they. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, I just love you so much that even when you've got a tinfoil hat on your head, I just see through to the real you. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I love you too. You, you can't imagine how much. Um, anyway. Uh, I want to talk about kind of the the state of mobile gaming 
Okay, because I think there's some interesting statistics to look at here. Now, do you do you do you play games on your? You have a beautiful HTC One Max, which is huge screen on it. Yeah, um, I I'm afraid that uh, there has to be some way that I fit in all the things that I do in my life. Um, <laughs> you know, from uh, all the different podcasts, from Let's Talk Bitcoin, Free Talk Live, right. being the producer of Sovereign Tech, and you know all all the other projects that I work on, and my voiceover business. That uh, one of the ways that I fit in all that. Stuff stuff is by not watching TV, not really watching movies and right not on. playing games. So I I pretty much play zero games on my phone except when I'm on an airplane, then I play classic Daleks, which I've this talked about on the show, game. my yeah. favorite game. Yeah, which is <laughs> it's uh, a very simple game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then lately I've kind of been um I installed a mahjong game oh, mahjong. On, on my Chromebook and I've been playing that on planes. But yeah, I'm pretty light on the gaming. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, I think the movie thing we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, that should be an interesting conversation. Right on. So I'm going to go down some of these statistics, some of which I think would interest you, Stephanie, actually. Um, now, as far as, uh, you know, U.S. portable game software, they're not talking about the hardware, but the software by revenue uh, from 2009 to 2010. And this is kind of an older statistic. But even in that time frame, um, you know, this is five years ago. It went in 2009. It was 19 percent of game sales uh, were on iOS and Android. And then the next year, it went up to 34 percent. Um, still, the by and large, the largest amount of mobile gaming is being done on Nintendo systems. So, but uh, but iOS and Android smartphone gaming is coming up. Hmm. Um, Angry Birds has been downloaded half a billion times. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's numbers way up because this is kind of a, these are older statistics. Uh, I've never played Angry Birds, and I really don't care to. I don't know. I've no, I've never played it. Yeah. Although I think when my parents got their first iPad. That was like the first thing that they did was, Angry was Birds. start playing Angry Birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, an interesting quote from John Carmack, who I've talked about on the show before and another kind of a hero of mine. He's the creator of Doom, uh, as well as he's behind Oculus or he's one of the guys involved with Oculus. Uh, he says, we're nowhere close to maxing out what could be done on an iPad. Speaking of iPads. So, you know, like what kind of unique gaming can be done with touch interfaces? We're not even close to touching on what that could be. Um and it's interesting, but by and large, over fifty percent uh, of the games that 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 uh, that are top grossing are actually free. But then you have to buy in-app purchases, which we've talked about before. Ninety-three um, percent of smartphone users are willing to pay for games, though. So that's you know that's interesting. Fifty-six hmm. percent um, of console of console gamers don't pay for games. I'm not really sure that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, console gamer oh, that hmm. they don't pay for games so they just download them well even i mean like i don't know how many free games there are for consoles i haven't been a console gamer in a while so mm. i'm kind of confused but apparently the, the point they're trying to make is that more people with smartphones will pay for gaming than people who have full-blown gaming systems so maybe they're talking about piracy or something i don't know well i think with a smartphone it's they the fact is the issue is not um, the money. The right. issue is the ease of being able to pay for it. So yeah. with smartphones, it's really easy to pay for an app or a game because it's like one click, you know, and it shows up on your bill or whatever. Yeah, it's all in Google Play or in the app, in the app store. Yeah, yeah, they've got your information and it's like you don't have to go through a lot of effort. It, all it takes is clicking something. Right. And people are like, oh yeah, one ninety nine, Sure, I'll pay that. No yeah. problem. Yeah, and I think it's just the convenience of paying. Simple as that. Sure. So the mobile gaming industry will make a projected $11.4 billion in 2014, which that's 
Wow. That's no small number. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> Especially you, since games, like you said, are only a buck ninety nine on average. Yeah, could you imagine if, like, with your phone, you know, you could click a button and it would open up your Bitcoin app and you could send, you know, a few millibits to pay for the game? Oh, like, that'd be how much awesome. easier would that be? That'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, something like CryptoKit does, where it instantly reads the QR code yeah. on the on the site or wherever, mm-hmm. and it, you know, and it puts inputs it into your wallet, and you can just pay for it right there. Right. Um, and you can already pay for mobile games. The Humble Bundle does Android bundles, and you can pay for those in Bitcoin. Right. And away yeah. you go. It's not it's not necessarily the most easy, like as, as simple a process as like you were describing, but the ability does exist already for Bitcoin to you know pay for games right and And with humble bundle it goes to charity right yeah which is fantastic Mm. Uh, i always recommend people i mean you know they ask you for like six bucks to get like 10 games yeah that's not bad (laughs) for crying out loud give them the six dollars you know (laughs) even if you already have the game it's like it's Mm -hmm. going to a good place yeah so anyway this is the statistic that i was most intrigued by and i think you'll be intrigued by this one stephanie and that is women make up roughly one-third of the console market and PC market, but they make up nearly half of the mobile gaming market. Huh. So they're not... It's not that they don't like games. Right. It's just that they're playing them on their phones right. and not on consoles or PCs. Exactly. Mm. So that's that's what I wonder. Now, I think, unfortunately, what a lot of people are going to say is, like you mentioned, how easy it is to get games on, on an Android or an iOS device, mm. right? Um I think a lot of people are going to say, well, you see, it's not complex, so women can handle it. So uh-huh. we'll, <laughs> we'll install the, you know, the, that's why there's more women gamers on uh, mm. on Android and iOS. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? Do, do you have any, any insights into why exactly hmm. women would, you know, why they'd be more interested in mobile gaming, you know, on, on iOS or Android? Well, one of the things that I, I'm not a gamer, so I really don't know, but like sure. I read a lot of articles about um, gaming culture and how like when women start playing like basically multiplayer games, often they'll get harassing comments and mm-hmm. they have to like hide the fact that they're a woman mm-hmm. or else they won't be taken seriously and they'll get all these like, you know, rape threats and like comments about their appearance and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so maybe that drives some women away. Um, another thing that I thought of is like, you know... I personally, I'm not really one to go and like do a lot of setup in order to get into things like right. I'll, so if I already have a smartphone and I can download games on it, I right. might I might do that, but I'm not going to buy a whole um, Xbox or whatever. This is the key. Yeah, I think you're right. Keep going. Or a gaming PC and then go to all the trouble to use that. It's just like I don't have time for that or desire. But if it's something that I already use, then yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I think this is it. And I don't think this is just women. I think this is across the board. Mm. You already have the device. Yeah. And so when you're at the airport, like you said, you're just you're going to install a game. Yeah. And so that's it. It's just that people want convenience. Everybody, I think, wants convenience. Mm. I can't picture anybody saying, I want a hard time. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Right. And so I think what happens is, is that it accurately shows society saying, no, we all love to play games, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's why women have a, a greater margin in that, in that it's not necessarily that somehow mobile gaming has some magic trick to it that makes women want to play. Mm. It's that the device are, is already in their hand. Yeah. And so why not? Yeah. It just be, it just comes down to why not? Mm-hmm. So, so, but would a guy be more like, I, I don't know, would a guy be more apt to 
um, go and like set up a whole station for gaming than a woman? Um, I th- if if they are more willing to mm-hmm. do that, I think that comes from a societal pressure from a from a from a more taught yeah that you know guys are builders and you know guys are right guys are stuff. the ad- explorers and the trailblazers and that kind of thing yeah right right and that there's just the, there's this very common and it's a it is a misconception and I've I've talked about it often on Sovereign Tech the misconception that video games are for boys right you know and it's just it's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I think even some of these numbers, I wonder about where they're exactly getting their metrics. Yeah, and I can't I'm curious, tell too, because it's just an infographic. Um, but I've read reports that, you know, of gamers in general on consoles and PCs that actually it's like 46 percent women now. Hmm. So that's not that different from, you know, from what they're saying about the mobile gaming market. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So I, and you know, it's people that are old. You would, you know, they're older than you would think. They're our age. They're well, not the like other, 15. That's, right. That's the other misconception. And I talked somewhat about that in last week's episode where, uh, you know, the average gamer is over 30 now. Mm. You know, and, <laughs> and, and that's across the board. Yeah. Uh, and so that also that misconception that that gaming is for kids, that's that's just not true. You know, right. I mean, it is. It's a misconception, like I said. So, yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything in particular. I think your insight which we didn't talk about at all beforehand um, is spot on mm-hmm. that. It's just the fact that the device is right there, you know, and, yeah. and maybe women want to put their money elsewhere and or they just don't that. have time. I mean, like there are lots of studies that show um, that women do a lot of unpaid work that they don't really get sure. recognition They're for taught like, to be people pleasers. Yeah. Well, like there's a lot of studies that show that in, in households where there's like a, a mom and a dad or like two, mm-hmm. you know, a man and a woman and they both work, the woman still does more of the housework right. than the man does. Right. And like the time has to kind of come out of somewhere. Right. Not to say that men are just playing video games because they have all this free time or anything like that. Um, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, a lot of women are busy, especially if they are moms and they also work. Yeah. And so if you're busy, then you're going to use the device that you already have in your hand to play games once you have a spare moment. Absolutely. You know? Again, it's just something I think society pushes. Tonight, Knight Rider crashes into your living room. I don't believe this. Well, you'd better believe it. A lone crusader for justice drives this crime crasher. The world's most fantastic car. And together they can do just about anything. After all, we're only human. Don't press your luck. And now, buckle up for action with the fastest show on television, Knight Rider. See Knight Rider online today. And now back to Sovereign Tech. Wow! It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week, where I talk about you know a website that uh, that I find interesting, sometimes terrible, sometimes useful. Um, but this week I've I've got a beauty. Of course, I'm joined with. Uh, oh, I've got a beauty in the studio, and I've got a beauty of, of <laughs> oh. a website. Uh, joined by Stephanie, of course. Um, but you know, I want I want to add, add this one last bit in about uh, about games and women, and not just video games, but board games as well. And I don't get to talk about board mm, games enough. So board I used games. to mix them in quite a bit, but yeah. I need to do that more in game talk. Um, and a lot of people don't know this, but. One of the, or perhaps the most popular board game of all time. In fact, if I ask you, what's the most popular board game of all time? Not counting chess or checkers. Scrabble. Mm, what would be your next guess? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Okay, Monopoly. Oh, of okay. course. Yeah, Duh. Monopoly. <laughs> Monopoly was made by a woman. Oh, cool. Almost, 
you know, almost like 80, 90 years ago. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, Elizabeth Maggi, uh, she, uh, it was called The Landlord's Game. Mm. And she came up with the whole thing. Do not pass go. Collect $200. You know, the, the whole shtick. Uh, and so, like, to say that women, oh, this this women in gaming thing is something new. Are you kidding? They made the best game in history. Right. You know, or arguably mm. the, the, the best game in history. So I thought that was interesting. Now, this website of the week is a history lesson. So we're talking so much about history. This is a history lesson, and it is something to behold. And what this is, and I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, Stephanie. I, I know you're not much of a moviegoer. But uh, did you ever see the movie Space Jam? No. No. Okay. This was a movie from like 96, 97 mm-hmm. with Michael Jordan and the entire cast of Looney Tunes. I remember the commercials okay, for that right, movie. Okay, right. With Bugs Bunny, yeah. Daffy Duck, you know, and all that, and, and Michael Jordan. Yep. So amazingly, and I'll show this to you, you know, to, to you, Stephanie, Warner Brothers still has the original website up for Space Jam wow. from 1997 and, or maybe it's 98. Anyway, and here it is. And this is is a masterpiece. I want want everybody to go to the show notes, SovereignTech.com, to check this out. (laughs) This is a masterpiece of, I mean, you know, you move the mouse around and there's like a, there's a series of planets here. Okay. And if you, if you hover the mouse over it, the planets don't even like expand. Like you have no clue what you're clicking on. That is awesome 90s web that's pretty good for 96 though yeah, it's pretty clever yeah and then, i mean look at this i just clicked on one of them this is oh planet b look at that, look at that html so code back to the 90s yeah, oh, I, was, yeah. I was gonna say they must have learned some fancy html tags for yeah, that one yeah. i mean this was a big movie this was a big deal uh in its day it's, it was probably a big deal that they had a website back yeah, then yeah yeah in fact the first movie to have a website and i tried to find to see if the website was still up a few years ago it was the first movie with a website was stargate isn't that fitting? Really? Wow. Considering what we were just talking yeah. about. Hmm. Uh, so, but I mean... That's yeah, one movie I have seen. <laughs> yeah, th- there's nothing special going on here. In fact, uh, yeah, the date on it is 1996. So it wow. wasn't even 97, it was 1996. That's awesome. And, uh, Sometimes when I go to like weird um, conspiracy websites and stuff like that... They I look would, like this? Yeah, they look exactly like that or worse. And I wish they would just be honest <laughs> and say it hasn't been updated since 1994. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, there's no, like the formatting's not special at all. There's like a starry background and the writing's just right over the starry background. It's the most basic HTML you could possibly see. Yep. But isn't that something? It's it's really cool to take a look at uh, to get some perspective of how far in 20 years, really, and this is just about 20 years later, how far we've come as far as the development of the web. But, yeah. you know, I will say this. I think the web has kind of been hindered. Web ba- Web page design has been very much hindered by advertising, I think. Hmm. Like, we got to figure out how do we put an ad on here? You know, and and that's that's what's interesting. There's yeah. no ads on this website at all. Yeah, There's barely a link. So <laughs> it almost reminds me of GeoCities. GeoCities. Now we're going way back. So <laughs> free webs. <laughs> anyway, check it out. I can't give you. It's a really long URL. So go to the show notes of SovereignTech.com and check out the Space Jam website. Hey everybody, it's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer. But did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos, pretty much any audio project that you can think of. I'm probably willing to work on it or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories. 
uh, where, you know, I talk about security issues or I talk about some of the heroes of the planet, hackers. Um, and I want to get right into the story here, Stephanie, um, which is from Wired and it's by Kevin Kelly. And it's why you should embrace surveillance and not fight it. And I think this is pretty interesting. So, hmm. yeah, and I, I, I want to ask you about it. I'm going to read them. I might skip some of it. So if anyone wants to read the full thing, please go to SovereignTech.com and look in the show notes. Uh, and here we go. I once worked with Steven Spielberg on the development of Minority Report, derived from the short story by Philip K. Dick featuring a future society that uses surveillance to arrest criminals before they commit a crime. I have to admit, I thought Dick's idea of pre-crime is, is, you know, was uh, to be unrealistic back then. I don't anymore. Most likely, 50 years from now, ubiquitous monitoring and surveillance will be the norm. The Internet is a tracking machine. It is engineered to track. We will ceaselessly self-track and be tracked by the greater network, corporations, and governments. Everything that can be measured is already tracked, and all that was previously unmeasurable is becoming quantified, digitized, and trackable. We're expanding the data sphere to sci-fi levels, and there's no stopping it. To many of the benefits we covet, uh, we covet derive from it. You know, many, many of the benefits we covet, we, der- we derive from it. So our central choice is now whether this surveillance uh, is a secret, one-way panopticon, or a mutual, transparent kind of covalence that involves watching the watchers. The first option is hell. The second, redeemable. Okay, now I don't know if you've ever heard that word before, covalence. Uh, this is a very important word. It's something that that's talked about. David Brin, I think, came up with it mm-hmm. a while back. Um, and it's you've probably heard of Cory Doctorow's little brother. Yeah. OK, that's covalence where the little guy watches the big guy. Yeah, but that's not happening. No, no. Right. Right. Uh, that That's not. You know, and, and fortunately, there's the guy a total double how... standard in who's allowed to surveil. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So let me read on here. Uh, we can see both scenarios beginning today. We have the trade secret algorithms of Google and Facebook on the one hand and the secret obsessed NSA on the other. Networks require an immune system to remain healthy and intense monitoring and occasional secrets are part of the hygiene to minimize the bad stuff. But in larger doses, secrecy becomes toxic. More secrecy requires more secrets to manage, and it sets up a de- debilitating autoimmune disease. The pathology is extremely difficult to stop since by its own internal logic it must be stopped in secret the remedy for over secrecy is to think in terms of covalence so that we may uh, that we make tracking and monitoring as symmetrical and transparent as possible that way the monitoring can be regulated uh, mistakes appe- you know mistakes appealed and corrected specific boundaries set and enforced a massively surveillance world is not a world I would design or even desire but massive surveillance is coming either way because that is the bias of digital technology and we might as well surveil well and civilly uh, I, I you know I don't like the way this is all kind of coming down yeah <laughs> who's gonna make sure we're surveilling well and civilly right and whose definition of well right. are we using yeah and it becomes very quickly who has the more money to develop the better technology the better surveillance technology and yeah uh, right now that is held on to by the printing press which is controlled by governments right so uh, let me skip ahead here a bit much of the scenario will be made possible by the algorithmic regulation of information as pioneered by open source project for instance while a system like bitcoin makes anonymous bank accounts possible it does so by transparently logging every transaction in its economy therefore making all financial transactions public PGP encryption relies on code that anyone can inspect and therefore trust and verify. It generates public privacy, so to speak. Encoding visible systems open to all eyes makes gaming them for secrets for secret ends more difficult. 
Every large system of governance, especially a digital society, is racked by an inherent tension between rigid fairness and flexible personalization. The cloud sees all. The cold justice of every tiny fraction by a citizen, uh, infraction by a citizen, whether knowingly or inadvertent, would be as inescapable as the logic of a software program. Yet we need the humanity of motive and context. One solution is to personalize justice to the context of that particular infraction. A similar, a symmetrically surveilled world needs a robot, a robust and flexible government and transparency to enforced adaptable fairness. I'm going to skip ahead one more time and then I, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this. The, so while a world of total surveillance seems inevitable, we don't know if such a mode will nurture a strong sense of self, which is the engine of innovation and creativity and thus all future progress. How would an individual maintain the boundaries of self when their every thought, utterance, and action is captured, archived, analyzed, and eventually anticipated by others? The self forged uh, by previous centuries will no longer suffice. We are now remaking the self with technology. We've broadened our circle of empathy from clan to race, race to species, and soon beyond that. We've extended our bodies and minds with tools and hardware. We are now expanding ourselves by inhabiting virtual spaces, linking up to billions of other minds and trillions of other mechanical intelligences. We are wider than we were, and as we offload our memories to infinite machines, deeper in some ways. Amplified covalence will shift society to become an even more social. More importantly, it will change how we define ourselves as humans. Mm. Give me your thoughts. <laughs> I know that's a lot to take in. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, well, maybe it is inevitable that we're going to, uh, that everything is going to be tracked. And it certainly seems like that's the direction where it's going. However, one thing that wasn't addressed in that article was how do we beef up the so-called positive side of surveillance? How do we make sure that the people who are uh, in power don't have the ability to control what they have as secrets either? Right. And yeah, I'm with you. And that's the thing is that actually the real problem with all of this is that there's people in power. Mm -hmm. There's people with the monopoly use of the, the, you know, monopolizing the use of force. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I don't want to use force, but I'm just saying is that it is monopolized. Okay. Uh, And with that in place, I, you know, I don't think that I I don't want that society. And then does it just become an arms race? Like that doesn't seem very peaceful. That's what's going on now. Right. I mean, it's escalation. You know what we're doing right now. I mean, I'm the I'm a, I'm in favor of the decentralization of everything. I think the encryption of things, uh, you know, is a literal arms race. You know, as to where the decentralization is an actual solution. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think there's a difference there. I uh, you know somebody might email w- with a fine that I'm that I'm walking a fine line. Maybe I am. So, but I mean, how, you know, this this is what I wonder. In fact, I love that they brought up Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. Because Bitcoin at the end of a day, capital B Bitcoin, is a ledger. What happens when there's a ledger on everything? Not <laughs> banks, but on life. Yeah. You know, what? What? how, how does that work? And, and this is this is something I, I haven't really come up with a solution for, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Or I, I have thoughts on it, anyway. Mm. Is that you have privatized surveillance, which is sometimes growing just as much and just as powerful as the or NSA. more so yeah or more so yeah yeah and you know how do you feel about that when you know do private companies have the right to you know to this kind of surveillance uh no especially because they're controlling and using the data and oftentimes won't won't give it to you for any benefit to you right it's they're totally exploiting you and using you 
Okay. So, so no, I mean, like, if you could do something with that data, too, and if you could have access to their data to do anything you wanted with, then yeah, that would be a little more fair. But that's not how it works. Well, now, let me ask this. There was a case where uh, Anonymous, the hacker group, actually got into Walmart's servers and found out that there was company memos going around on how to keep unions from forming in the company (laughs) and uh, about all kinds of real infractions against workers. Wow. Okay. Now, Walmart's a private company. It's their servers. It's their call. Did Anonymous... Here's the, here's the question. Did Anonymous do something good or bad? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it really is. And because a part of me says, well, you know, humans, you know, got freer by finding out what Walmart was pulling. Mm. Okay, so, you know, but but do the ends justify the means? But did, they kind of trespassed to do that. Yeah, they really did. Yeah. So, you know, I, I Yeah, wonder. oh boy, that's a great question to ask a libertarian to find out if they're left or right. <laughs> Yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because, <laughs> yeah. like, sort of the right libertarians, oh, no, private property always wins. Walmart can do whatever they want. They're a private right. corporation, and then they shouldn't be trespassed on. These hackers are jerks. And left libertarians, oh, my gosh, these workers are being exploited. They need to equalize this power structure here. Yeah. Of course, what Anonymous <laughs> did was fine. Right. So, I mean, but that's the thing. Now, if everything was open, you know, like this transparent society that supposedly is... Mm-hmm. unavoidable according to kevin kelly yeah uh you know then then walmart couldn't do that so is that an argument for having an open society <laughs> yeah well maybe so but then again if we do if we have a truly open society then i think the powers that be don't want that because they, no, wa- they don't. what they want is the double standard that they'll be able to exploit right so they're always going to want um, a double standard in terms of openness. They want you everything you do to be completely open so they can use it against you right. or to market to you. Right. But they don't want everything they do to be open because they want to be in power. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the idea that Kevin Kelly is putting forward of a truly open society. In fact, honestly, I think that if it were an absolutely transparent society with covalence or whatever, mm-hmm. there wouldn't be covalence. Governments would fall away. Because suddenly people would realize they don't fucking need them. You know what I mean? Like that it's not necessary. It's <laughs> yeah. like I, I've said before, you know, I feel bad. There, there was that case uh, we talked about on Free Talk Live where a teacher, her pictures were viewed by her student. She had nude pictures of herself. Oh, and they got yeah. viewed by students because they're on an iPad because she logged into that iPad with her name. And so all of her iPhotos yeah. got downloaded onto the iPad and she, and she saw it. Now, that's I, I feel bad if she felt shame over that or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, but this is the the part that I don't feel bad about is that the our digital society is showing that we're all freaks. You know, <laughs> we're 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 all sex crazed, and we're all you know, or at least we're all you know very we're all doing kind of stuff that 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 conventional society would would consider wrong, whether <laughs> it's something that harms somebody else or not. Okay, and so I think if we got into this transparent society, suddenly we'd realize. Hey, you know, we're all kind of imperfect and no one should be in charge of anybody and it's all okay. What do you yeah, think? I just don't know. I mean, like I might want to share a nude pic with you, Brian Sovereign. Absolutely. That I wouldn't want to share with my parents or my former boss or, you know, someone right. else like that uh, or just maybe anyone else. And is that okay? Like in a tr- completely transparent society, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. Well, but that this is the kind of the broader scope. I, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but 
I wonder if in a transparent society, again, if, if a lot of if like nudity would even be a big deal, you know, like, well, it would either maybe it would become less of a big deal, but maybe there'd be certain things people just wouldn't do. They would censor themselves before that action ever got out into the real world, because once it gets out, it's out for everybody for good. That's true. Ooh, good questions. Maybe I'll have to follow this up next week. <laughs> I'll be back with more this What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Would you like to play a game? Game of the Week. It is time for Game of the Week. And, you know, I, I just this is where I cover a game that maybe needs a good reinstall or one that went under the radar and whichever, and that I think people, you know, maybe wanted they want to check it out. So, but I, I want to address real quick, you know, at the end, you mentioned there about, you know, wanting nudity and all that stuff. I, f- I can't help but feel like, Stephanie, that if, you know, in, in, a, in an aware society, not necessarily a transparent one, but in an aware society, I think a lot of the shame around body and a lot of the, like, I, you know, I can't help it. I, I think clothing would become almost meaningless, you know, uh, because I think, I think a lot of clothing's purpose today has to do with uh, class status and and you know just this odd notion of like hiding the body like that there's some shame in in feeling well, sexual don't forget keeping you warm well of course <laughs> of course the winter is a totally different ball game you know no doubt about that so but I just I, I wonder if clothing would be would be as big a deal well be careful about making that argument though because that's the same people the same thing people say about school uniforms you mm-hmm. know that they say that well, you know, uh, we don't want these students having conflicts over oh, right. um, the, the who has nicer clothes. So we're going to make them everybody wear the same clothes. Sure. And e- nudity could be taken the same way. Yeah, that's a good point. As an so, e- equalizing thing. <laughs> right. Well, if anyone wants me to talk more about clothing, I've talked about it in the past. But mm-hmm. if anyone wants us to talk more about it, shoot, shoot me an email. SovereignTech at RiseUp.net. Anyway. Well, it's, it's clothing is you forgot important uses of clothing that's what i'm saying like it was to keep you warm and also well, i didn't forget but i didn't mention well, it well you didn't mention the individuality the expression of individuality just as sure. much as it can be an expression of class status or whatever it can be an expression of um other things too like there you wear triple black right you can do that if you just had your skin yeah you but, could do stuff with your body hair and if, so forth but sure but if i had a choice of to wear clothes or not to wear clothes mm-hmm. i wouldn't so <laughs> well you do have a choice in this household well in the household but not in society i can't i, I should be able to walk outside naked that, and it shouldn't be a problem it's just not fair brian it's I not know. fair anyway you're being oppressed but let me tell you something <laughs> let's get into the game of the week this is one of my all-time favorites this is a classic uh the first one came out in like 1990 uh there, there's there's a whole series of these they're, they're incredible games and the games are called commander keen Oh my gosh! I love Commander <laughs> Keen. I used to play that. Right. On. I played. I think I played a lot of those. Like maybe not all of them, but I played at least three or four or five of them. <laughs> yeah, they're fantastic. You can still get them on Steam. Oh yeah, uh, they have them on Android. Wow. You can play. It has it has a different name uh, on on Android. 
Um, but there was also there was a new version. There was a new game called Keen Dreams that was released for Android. But you can play the classics on Android too. Anyway, it's they're platformers. So you're telling me I could play this classic game on my phone? This is why more women play on mobile that I gaming. haven't touched in 20 years. You've, oh, you got it. I know. Oh my god. I know you're gonna play it as soon as the show's so done. Cool. You're on it. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Commander Keen is a lot of fun. It's a platformer, really cartoon graphics. The the really th- the amazing thing about it is that it kind of played like a Mario. It played like a lot of those games but the graphics were way better uh, and it was so cute like you're this little guy and you can jump and there's all these little aliens and creatures and blobs and characters yeah Yeah, it's just just cute right you're just you're paying you're playing a kid that has to you know gets involved in some kind of you know warped into some alien yeah he's always got a different mission yeah sometimes he's like in a swamp or like on some other planet sometimes he's in a spaceship sure sure you're you're little billy blaze and and you you know it's the whole boy genius thing and and it's just it's a lot of fun and they're still really fun games albeit very simplistic but i mean even simple games still continue to get a lot of play i mean you think how many people still play the original mario brothers you know super mario brothers oh yeah Uh, i mean and how many people buy it like this is this you know i bought this i bought these on steam i bought the games on steam because and i've played them i love the games you know (laughs) i still do and and they still i think they hold up pretty well and and that was nice too is that because at the time you know you enjoyed it i mean they were just great games Mm. you know and so you enjoyed it for that but at the time consoles couldn't really do what computers could do today that's a different story uh it's it's still a true statement but it's the, the the lines are blurred and but back then in the 90s i mean you couldn't get the full story like you could on a pc game as to where a pc game could give you full story better music the whole shtick better graphics the whole business and commander keen just took all that and ran with it mm-hmm. you had fun stories a fun mission uh and it was you know it felt like it was you you know you put on the helmet and you and you know you, you picked up the little blaster and you and you ran with it yeah and it you know the other thing that was great about that game that was that it wasn't violent at all not really it no. was just creative yeah and i remember the first one came out and it was on a 3.5 inch floppy disk yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh awesome? it's probably bigger than my phone that i could play it on now <laughs> yeah it, dang near <laughs> so commander keen uh links in the show notes check it out just a classic bit of fun and hey if stephanie played it you know it's got to be good <laughs> i'll be back we'll be back with more this is summer tech Do you have a business or product that you are interested in getting advertised to a largely U.S.-based audience on an award-winning podcast and radio show airing on hundreds of radio stations? Let Free Talk Live be a part of your advertising portfolio, because the world of audio never fades. Contact me, Brian Sovereign, and I can get an advertising package that will work within your budget. Email me at brian at freetalklive.com. And that's Brian with an I. Again, brian at freetalklive.com. What are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the Week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where I generally just want to geek out. And uh, I get to geek out this week, of course, with the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. And Hello. Yeah, and we geeked out a little bit. I did not show Stephanie any of the show prep. 
Uh, and so, like, when I I picked out Commander Keen because I, I I know you, you played knew it. I was gonna yeah. like it. And so when she said, "Oh my God," I gave that was just totally legit, and and I, and I did that absolutely on purpose. So that was a nice surprise. Yeah, Thank you. yeah, and you have such a gorgeous smile. I I could not resist uh, getting a rise out of you. So, <laughs> so I'll you get always, a rise out of you, you later. I was just gonna say you always get a rise out of me, especially on episode sixty nine. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So, you know, but but something that that's that's been a, a bit of a, a boner killer for me recently, um, you went away to to Mexico and you you went to visit some of our friends also in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You had a great time. Nice vacation. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I, I stuck here and, um, you know, I mean, I had a lot of a lot of work I, I wanted to get done for Free Talk Live and everything. And, uh, I, you know, I, I took the time to watch some movies. Okay, because generally, I mean, we we like to watch documentaries and whatever. And I love when you're, you know, we love to do things together. Mm. So, you, you know, I had I had some movies stockpiled up to watch over, and uh, and so I started watching some of them. And you know what? The by and large, other than than Machete Two, okay, um, they they were all terrible. Oh, I mean, they were just they were terrible movies, and some of them of which I had really high hopes for. There was the new GI Joe movie. Yeah, and, well. Yeah, it's a bummer. I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were just, they were so bad. <laughs> and I mean, they weren't even like, like, yeah, that was mediocre. No, they were just atrocious. What made them so bad? You know, I'm not, I'm, I mean, some of them I could like kind of be, in fact, I can't even remember all the ones I watched. So I could be kind of nitpicky they with were them. so bad they were just forgettable. Yeah, but I mean, maybe they were just all like, it all felt so rehashed. It all felt like this has already been told before, mm. um, or maybe the style was just wrong. I mean, like, like what made Machete, uh, Machete 2 so decent was that it was being made like it was a film from the 1980s or the 1970s. And I think that's literally why I thought it was okay. Uh-huh. And yet that was being treated as ridiculous. And I'm like, no, it's not ridiculous. Like, that's that's what makes movies fun is that it's escapism and it's over the top, you know. Uh, and so just so many of these movies were were. I mean, they were just so atrocious. And I just kind of came to the realization, I'm like, you know, there's really only so few good movies out there that are even worth watching. Half of them are even based on books, so you might as well read the book, because, yes, it's true, generally the book is always better. Unless it's like Dune, where Dune is kind of a different animal as a movie. Um, And so, you know, you never got into movies, Stephanie, right? No, not really. I mean, I guess I've had some times in my life where I've watched more movies, but mm-hmm. um uh, you know, they've a lot of them have just felt like such a waste of time to me. Yeah. And that's really what it is. I get impatient and I'm like, you know, I don't want to invest an hour, an hour and a half, oh, two hours, three hours, three hours yeah. in this just sitting like a blob watching this movie and doing nothing else. Like it does. I feel like most of them don't deserve my attention for that long. No, right, right. And I mean, and I even like I started thinking about it kind of retroactively and I was thinking like uh, Superman Returns or I mean, uh, 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 Man of Steel, which was the last Superman movie that came out. And I said, yeah, it was good. But I just realized that I had to come out and say, yeah, it's acceptable. You know, like yeah. I wasn't actually saying, boy, this was mind blowing. and It was great. I had to just come out and say, yeah, OK, in comparison to all the other shit that's out there, it was it was all right. <laughs> you know, and in fact, one of the movies that I watched that I thought was just terrible, which I can't believe I thought was so bad because I enjoyed 300, but I watched the sequel to 300. Uh, well, it's the the follow up to 300, I'll say. Yep. Um, and it was uh, it was like 
it, I felt like it had a motive, like that it, that it had pro- it was it was a propaganda piece. Oh yeah, you said there were like some real major historical inaccuracies oh, in that. It was, it was really bad because, it, in fact, I even realized really three hundred was doing the same thing, where it was showing that oh the Greeks are just this this bastion of civilization and freedom and all this stuff. And when me growing up, I was taught that the Persians were the good guys. <laughs> and in this are the bad guys. And I think historically it's pretty accurate that the Persians were the good guys. In fact, Cyrus the Great, the guy that that in that came up with uh or, you know that that created the Persian Empire, Alexander the Great thought he was the best. Mm. So, you know, the best that the Greeks had thought that the best that the Persians had was the best. So there there's just there was like it was I was like, What is Hollywood doing? Yeah. Like, you're, you're just you're pushing and I watched the G.I. Joe movie and I was like no, you guys are just pushing militarism. And I just felt like everything had, everything just felt like so much propaganda. Yeah, well, you know, that was one of the things that stopped me from going to movie theaters because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, I guess in my teens and maybe early 20s, although I kind of stopped by that point, but like in my late teens, I would go to the movies, like go to movie theaters because that was fun. You know, at the yeah. time it was, well, you know, late 90s. Okay, that was a fun thing to do. That was what you did with your friends. But I noticed over time there were just more and more like you had to sit through like 30 minutes of commercials for the military. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they would even even mix in like the commercials with the military with like coke and stuff yeah and it was just a mess it w- i didn't want to see that militarism i was becoming really anti-war this was like you know 9-11 happened and right. then the wars were all starting and now suddenly it's sit through 20 30 minutes of military propaganda before you get to your movie and i paid for a ticket i don't want to see that yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. why I, that's why i thought i paid for the ticket but and then it's soon like slowly it became better to just say okay well let's rent some weird indie film from a video store and watch it at home because that's way better than going to the movies hell yeah and yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know you raise a great point because like cable television there used to not be any commercials not just with hbo or stars Mm. but there wasn't any commercials because you were paying for it already right so that's where the money was being made and then that changed so yeah very similar case did you have more on that that you want yeah i I just uh, over time you know all those things kind of combined and it just became not worth it and you know you see a couple of films and they just totally disappoint you yeah and it for me that that kind of soured me on movies in general and it was just like i don't have time for this i'm gonna do something else (laughs) yeah you know and in fact there's another one that i watched i watched thor 2 okay Mm -hmm. the dark world or whatever i am so sorry i left you alone on that trip and you were just sitting there watching movies so much more fun to just to just have sex and you know what i mean we'll make up for it yeah (laughs) i thank you and (laughs) but uh you know, I watched Thor, too, and, like, here you have in Thor, and you don't need to know the story to really get what I'm saying. You know, you have Thor, too, where it's these, you know, the Asgardians, which they're, you know, they're essentially humanity treated them as gods, but really, they're not gods, and that's part of the message of the movie. They're not gods. They're just an alien species that lives for thousands of years, um, and and it's so crazy because, okay, this is an alien species that lives for thousands of years, can travel the entire galaxy pretty much in, in more or less any given time. I'm not going to get into the specifics of that. Okay. Hyper advanced. They have advanced medical technology. And when something attacks them, what do they do? They declare war. And I'm like, <laughs> what a joke. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? You're, you're so advanced. You have shield technology. You have all this advanced medical technology. You have all this stuff. And you still go to war? <laughs> 
Like what a bunch of, you know the and, and it just Well they have to get the plot from somewhere right Well right but that's it yeah. is that like it just made the movie so unbelievable for yeah. me Now when I was a kid you know and I'm still a huge comic book fan I read comics all the time okay um but now it just it seems cheap because when you suddenly you know when you develop a bit of intelligence you realize wait a minute you know this isn't how to solve problems Yeah you know it it just it cheapens everything A lot of movies are super violent too and yeah. I, I'm one of those people who's very sensitive, okay, and very empathetic. And sure, I, when I see a film, I love that about you. <laughs> thank you. Well, well, but when I see a film where there's a lot of violence portrayed, or even just you, you know abuse, or like something bad happens to the characters, right? I tend to empathize with the characters, and I'm like, you know, this isn't just this isn't what I want to be watching for fun and entertainment. You yeah. know, like I can't really. Uh, I, I'm too caring. <laughs> I care yeah. too much about the characters. And it's just like, no. And so many movies today are so violent because oh, yeah. as a culture, you know, the, uh, what is the rating agency that rates the movies? The, um, the MPAA. Yeah. Okay. Well, they, you know, they have standards and, you know, pretty much a, a, a high level of violence gets a film a general rating you know where everybody can see it but any mention of sex they actually count the humps they look at the pubic hair you know anything that's a little bit over the top sexually uh that gets it you know nc-17 and then most people can't go see it totally contradictory yeah it's it's such a weird standard and so i just don't like to participate in that whole system at all i can get so much more enjoyment out of being entertained by a book or perhaps even like a, you know, a TV show or something like that, or something I can just watch at home on my computer or whatever. You know, Brian, maybe this has something to do with the fact that we don't drink because a lot of people get (laughs) drunk when they go to movies and then the movie is suddenly so much better. Well, you know, I, I have to wonder how many societal, uh, uh, coming together how many things are made better by alcohol are, are designed for <laughs> for almost an excuse to do that i'm not judging anybody if you do right. that it's fine i'm yeah. just saying that let, let's be honest when something's an excuse to do it who knows uh anyway yeah you know i i i like your point about violence because in fact uh the star trek movies okay all of them i'm not talking about the recent jj abrams ones i'm talking about the the originals my favorite one is star trek the motion picture and i've talked about that that movie before because it's it's an example of a film that where there is pretty much no violence whatsoever. Mm. Like the only shots that get fired are in the very beginning of the film, and they're shots that are that don't do anything. There's no destruction to even see. Uh, they they only get fired by um you know by the Klingons, okay, and uh, you know then whatever the the the, the V'ger character does. I mean yeah, that fires off some some shots. But anyway, everything gets solved by reason and logic in the film. And everybody, most Star Trek fans that I even talk to hate this movie and they say it's boring. And I'm like, yeah, it it is boring. That's because there's no action in it. But why does that mean that it's bad? Okay. And that's my question, because what is the greatest Star Trek movie of all time? Pretty much uniformly, people will tell you it's Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, which is just this huge battle sequence and everybody's like oh that was amazing you know there's all this action i'm like no actually the the original the star trek the motion picture the first one is the better one because starfleet's always talking about how it's a peaceful organization and how they keep talking about non-violence and yet that's how they always solve everything and so i hold up the motion picture the star trek one essentially as the paragon of starfleet doing what it says it always did this is star trek in its purest form where we solve things without violence and you know movies do affect people 
and their behavior and what they think is normal. To some degree. I mean, yeah. I don't think Rambo turns people into killers, but I think it does no, it perpetuate the status quo. And it normalizes it. Exactly. That's you my know, point. Yeah. It, it normalizes violence. And, you know, that's one reason maybe that movies have gotten more violent over time is because, you know, people just need more and more. It's kind of been ratcheted up. That's a possibility. I'm open to that. I, I'm also... I, I know I sound like a Luddite here. No, 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 but, no, no. But like I, as a person who doesn't watch many movies, mm-hmm. I see movies now and I'm like, holy shit like i just this yeah, isn't the violence what I, disturbs you yeah it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's shocking it's something i don't want to be yeah. seeing it's too much for me yeah no I, I understand that but i mean but this is the thing is that it just it does seem to be almost propaganda for the status quo a lot of these films uh because again if the film doesn't have it like star trek the motion picture everybody pans it and says it's terrible <laughs> right you know and it's like well what the fuck you know can't it just be something without that uh so you know, did anyway, you ever get into watching like indie kind of movies and indie films? Oh yeah, 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 uh, quite a bit. So, but I, I just as of now, like I'm, I'm just so. And, and no, I haven't seen the Lego Movie. Everybody's going to email and say, "Well, you should go see the Lego Movie because that's a libertarian film." I'll get to it, okay? But <laughs> my recent experience with movies, I'm just—it's not topping my list. I'd much rather be having. I'd sex. rather be having sex. I was just about to say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's go, so, Brian. We yeah, finished well, the let's show. Go do that. It's episode sixty-nine. Let's 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 live up to the namesake. <laughs> Carpe Lucem. Thank you, Stephanie, for being on. Thank you. I'll see you all. This next has been week. Sovereign Tech. Visit us at sovereigntech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs>